Well, church, as you're having a seat, grateful that you're here with us worshiping. Um, if you have a Bible, why don't you grab it and open up to Matthew's gospel. We're going to be in Matthew uh, chapter 5 primarily this morning, but we have been walking through a doctrine series for the past 13 weeks. So it's been a long journey. Uh, just to recap, so you kind of know where we've been and what we've been walking through, we've looked at um, the Trinity, we've looked at the revelation of God, we've looked at the creation of God, the Imago Dei or the image of God, uh, the fall of man through sin, we've looked at God covet, uh, God's covenants with us, the promises of God, we looked at the incarnation of God, that God came down to us in the form of a baby, that God took on flesh. Uh, we looked at the cross of God, that this one that came and put on flesh actually died in our place as our substitute so that we might have life. And we looked at what um, guaranteed that life was his glorious resurrection from the dead. Uh, we looked at the doctrine of the church, God's people, that this resurrected Jesus has now gathered for himself a people that he calls his own, that reflect his nature and his character. We looked at what it means to be worshipers of God, that we would be um, solely committed to worshiping him and him alone and not other idols. We looked at stewardship that God has entrusted to us very much, and now we get to be stewards, not owners, but he is the great owner, and we are simply stewards of all that he has given to us. And today, we find ourselves sort of putting a bookend on all of this, looking at the kingdom of God. So we've gone through a lot. If you missed any of those, they're all online. Um, I would encourage you to go back and, uh, and watch those or listen to those if you haven't had the opportunity. But as I was preparing for this series, what I thought we were going to do at the very end here is we began in Genesis chapter 1, and we've essentially been walking through the entire Bible um, over 13 weeks. And I thought we were going to end in Revelation, and I was going to talk a lot about the kingdom of God and Jesus um, after his earthly ministry, that he is now ruling and reigning at the right hand of God, and that he will one day come back again and inaugurate his kingdom, uh, his second coming. I thought we were going to look at all that stuff, uh, but I, what I thought we would do instead, in light of um, the current state of affairs in our country, some of us are find ourselves furious and mad. Some of us find ourselves uh, joyful and excited. Some of us find ourselves apathetic and have lost hope in any process that the world has to offer. Uh, and many of us find ourselves on all different uh, phases of that spectrum with our political culture and all that's happening in our world today. So what I thought I would do uh, is rather than talk about the kingdom of God that God will initiate one day, I want to talk about the kingdom in this way. Jesus himself talks about it a lot in his earthly ministry. And it's the kingdom that talks about this. It's the already but not yet. It's the kingdom that Jesus asks us to pray for. God, your kingdom come. Your will be done, God, on earth as it is in heaven. I want to talk about that kingdom. Because Jesus calls us as his followers, as his children, as his people, to live as a people uh, guided and ruled and governed by the kingdom of God, uh, not the kingdoms of this world. Um, and so that's where we're going to head. We're, we're going we're gonna to look at uh, what does it mean to live in the kingdom that Jesus talks about? What is the kingdom of God? 
What does it mean? Is it just, and it's not just the one day he's coming back and the one day we will live with him in glory in that kingdom forever. There's an element of it that Jesus came to begin that which will be made final and complete in heaven right here on earth today as it is in heaven. That's what he teaches us to pray. And so we're going to look at that. We're going to look at what is life in the kingdom of God. Long ago, a professor of uh, biology, a Scottish professor, his name was Henry Drummond, later turned to be an evangelist. He said this, as he began to study the kingdom of God as Jesus described it, he says, do not touch Christianity. Do not touch Christianity unless you are willing to seek the kingdom of God first. And he goes on to say this, I promise you a miserable existence if you seek it second. I promise you a miserable existence if you seek the kingdom of God second. And I believe um, we, are, we find ourselves sort of entrenched in the Bible Belt South, right? We're, we have this evangelical sort of culture and, and undertow, so to speak, in many facets of our everyday lives, which uh, by and large in many cases uh, is a good thing. But if we are not careful, we become almost inoculated to Christianity, to Christianese, to church culture, to all of these things, and we end up uh, not listening to that which Jesus calls us to, and we end up seeking the kingdom of God when we have time. We end up fitting in our pursuit of knowing God and following after him and pursuing that which he calls us to into the margins of our lives, and we just continue to do whatever it is that we're doing. And Jesus, uh, I don't think, wants that from us as his people. He doesn't want us to give him even second place. Uh, he wants to be first. And the place that we're confronted with that uh, most vividly, uh, with the most clear examples of Jesus' teachings, are found in his very first sermon when he launches his public ministry. He says some very alarming, provocative, strange things to us. Uh, and it's, and they're called, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. Um, many of us are familiar with this. Uh, and he begins the Sermon on the Mount with a section called the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes, essentially what they do is they describe life in the kingdom of God. The Beatitudes describe to you and I, as believers in Christ, as Christ followers, what our lives should be marked by if we do in fact live in light of the kingdom of God most fully. So they put us, the Beatitudes uh, put us front and center before the living God. And he says, this is what life should be. This is how you live in the kingdom of God. When we were studying creation at the very beginning, when we saw the fall of man, we, we looked at Adam, we looked at him, and when sin entered the reality in the garden, what happened to Adam? Adam quit listening to God and the things that were created became more appealing to Adam than the creator. And he began thinking, you know what? I just want to have this stuff. God's holding out on me. And the minute that happened, death for Adam enters the picture. Separation from Adam enters the picture. Death begins to creep in. 
By contrast, we look at characters like Abraham, who when he's looking back on his entire life, he sums up his life this way. The Lord before whom I have walked. Abraham said, I just walked before the Lord. I tried to be faithful. Job, when he had his breakthrough after much suffering and trial and heartache and hardship, he said, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you, God. Job said, I used to just sort of hear about you, and I used to just kind of hear stuff about you and what other people may have experienced with you. And Job says, after he walks through unimaginable suffering, he says, but now, God, I see you. And I know you were with me. I know you were near to me. Jesus, the risen Jesus, says this to us. Um, he begins to say, if anyone here's my voice. Uh, Let that maybe for a moment just hit you. If anyone, there's a lot of room in there. If anyone, there's a tremendous amount of room for people like me and for people like you to find themselves in that space. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will dine with him and he with me. Jesus says that to us. And the invitation to follow Jesus in this new reality that he calls the kingdom of God is open to all people who hear his voice and open the door and he says, I'll come and dine with you. Jesus, he says, you and I can have a relationship like that at that level where you don't just hear things about me, but I'm sitting with you and we're sharing a meal together, this intimate thing. That's the kingdom. It's his kingdom. That's the way that Jesus describes it. Any Mandalorian fans out there, boys, you're with me? This is the way. This is, his, this is Jesus' way of saying this, right? This is where this came from, right? Okay, you'll get it tomorrow if you watch that. It's a hard, tough crowd, okay? Um, <laughs> Jesus is saying, this is my way. This is how you know you're with me. And this is, and how Jesus describes it and sets it up and explains it is a strange way, no doubt. And it's jarring and it's uh, unsettling and it's not, uh, and it's not confined by blue states and red states and purple states and the blending of all the color states. It's not defined by any of those metrics or any of those things. It's a different way altogether. It's not a meeting of the middle. It's not a compromise. It's a new way. The gospel way is an entirely different way. It's an entirely different way. And Jesus spells it out But the hard part about it and the part that is unsettling for me, and maybe it is for you, is that you can't have a little bit of both. Um, Jesus says, you're either going to have one and love it and hate the other or have the other and hate the other, right? You're going to reject one in its entirety or you will embrace one in its entirety. Um, In this world that Jesus is sort of beckoning us to, he's saying you got to switch sides. 
He's almost, the kingdom of God as Jesus describes it and begins talking about it and begins calling us to, it's almost like he's calling you to uh, defect and join up with him. He's like, all all the ways out there in the world, all of these things, all of these powers and authorities and all these ways that they are beckoning you into, he's saying you have to turn away from those and you have to come after me. You have to come after me. And he's, Jesus is not talking about, his kingdom is not talking about just tweaking your life a little bit, just sort of peppering in a little bit of uh, spirituality. He's not talking about just sort of adding Jesus into the margins or uh, grabbing a, a, your verse and throwing it on a coffee cup in the morning and calling it good. This is not the call that Jesus is inviting us into. And Jesus spells out this new kingdom in his very first sermon when he begins his public ministry, and it's called the Sermon on the Mount. But here's the context of the Sermon on the Mount, because a lot of times we read the Beatitudes and we sort of unplug them from the whole context of the scriptures. The context of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gives to us starts in chapter 3 at the very beginning, with Jesus beginning his public ministry and he says these words to start and launch his ministry here on earth. And he looks at his people and he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So this is the summary statement of the rest of his sermon that he's gonna preach in Matthew 5. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, how do we do that? Repent from what? Repent how? Where? Where do we turn to and toward and for? He tells us, he answers that for us in his Sermon on the Mount very clearly and honestly, very strangely. So this is a summary statement. Repent or turn or turn away from that which you are running to and run to me because the kingdom of heaven is right here. He's like, I'm right in front of you. It's at hand. It's here. It's not fully going to be inaugurated, but it's right here and it's beginning. So he's saying the kingdom of heaven is not just up in the clouds one day. Uh, God's kingdom through Jesus our Lord is brought down to us. That's the good news of the gospel. It's not get saved so that one day you might meet him one day in heaven. It's here. He's now, it's at hand. It's not fully realized, albeit, but he has come. And our king has given us new marching orders. Uh, Jesus is saying there's a new sheriff in town, right? There's any other little statement that you could come up with, right? He said, I'm bringing this new kingdom down. And he says, I'm not ever gonna stop until I make all things new, until I make all things right. Until every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So now my words, so his words. You take them all or you don't take them at all. All right, kingdom. Here we go, Beatitudes. What does that mean? How do you get this kingdom what does that mean? That's Jesus talks about it coming down here on earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And the Beatitudes describe what that repentance that he calls us to means and what it looks like, how we can live in the kingdom. 
Jesus is saying the future, those who will inherit the kingdom, belong to the repentant. The repentant. That's where Jesus is. Jesus is among the outsiders. Jesus is among even the has-beens. Jesus is among the washed up. Jesus is among the not-so-coolest, the not-the-best, not-the-latest-thing. So the Beatitudes is this whole new culture, and it's jarring, and it's strange, and Jesus calls it his kingdom. And it's all over the New Testament. It's a new reality. And Jesus does not set up this new reality as a buffet that we get to go and pick and choose that which we like. Oh, I like this part of the kingdom. I'm just going to kind of grab that and I'm going to leave the rest of that. He says, no, it's not a buffet. It's not a, you go and pick this and pick that. He says, this is what all of it means. This is what all of it looks like. It's a whole new culture. It's a whole new life. And it's only possible through the repentant. Turn, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So these beatitudes are so important. And they're comforting. And yes, they're strange. But it's the way of Jesus. So we either accept the, when we read them, they're hard. I I will admit that. So when we're faced with them, it does something to us. It produces this almost upheaval in us. It's, it's, it's difficult. It's hard to understand how do we do this? But Jesus wants us to confront these realities and not settle for minor behavior modification. Hey, just tweak this a little bit and call it good and move on. That's not the call of Christ. Um, the call of Christ is not uh, a buffet. And how, so how do we know? How do we know that he's not just giving us sort of a list of examples of, hey, live like these or pick a few of these and do your best to follow them? How do we know he's not teaching it like that when you read the list? Well, I think one of the reasons that we know he's not teaching it that way so that we can sort of pick out ones that uh, suit our preferences or maybe how we're naturally bent is because of how uh, the Beatitudes begin and how they end. So Matthew 5, 3, that first, very first Beatitude about the kingdom ends this way. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So he says, this, live, live out this way, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then verse 10, the very last beatitude, he bookends it with the same statement again, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, meaning these two, everything in between, these two statements go together. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Here's what it means to live in the kingdom of heaven. All of this stuff. So it's not a pick and choose. The first beatitude and the last beatitude end in the same way because they're all holding together. Uh, And Jesus is not preaching on this hillside and talking to like different groups of people. Oh, look, here's some poor people over here. Oh, and here's some meek people over here. He's saying, no, this is what it means collectively as God's people uh, to live in the kingdom of heaven, right? Jesus says, repent, repent. He's calling us to reorient our lives, to recenter our lives on God. All right, so all I want to do with the rest of our time is simply look at these Beatitudes and to say, 
This is what Jesus is calling us as God's people to live in the kingdom of heaven. Here's what it means and here's some implications for it. This is what it means to be a gospel-formed kingdom people whose lives are marked by repentance and faith in Jesus' kingdom. I need to hear these things today because there are a lot of things uh, in our world that we can get nervous about, we can get upset about, we can be fearful about, we can, um, whatever it is, wherever you're at, Jesus recenters us on his kingdom. Verse three, here we go. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus tells us, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, these people are not poor because they have just only a very little bit. They're poor He's talking about the word here is because they have nothing. They have nothing to bring. They have nothing to offer. So he's saying, uh, blessed are those that have nothing, that have squandered their chance at living a righteous life that would please God in any form or fashion. They look at a cross and they see their king dying for his rebellious, wayward subjects and they realize they can put no claim on God. And Jesus says, God owes you nothing. And what I find amazing about this is Jesus is launching a whole new kingdom, a whole new people with a group of people who he says, you have nothing to contribute. I don't, you can't bring anything to me because he is full and he has everything. And you think, how is this gonna succeed? Blessed are the poor who have nothing to contribute. That's, how not, that's not how we start anything. That's like the total opposite of how we start things. We want to start things that launch big, that have uh, big money behind them, big celebrities behind them, a lot of things going for them, right? We look for the cool, the influential, the rich, the impressive. We, we look for all those things. Jesus starts with dropouts. He starts with gamblers. He starts with sinners, because here's how he set it up. King Jesus provides everything. So he gets all the glory. We can't take claim on it. Uh, and we who bring nothing just keep getting mercy. That's all we, because <laughs> that's all we get. That's all we deserve. We, we, don't, we don't bring anything. So all that he gives us is just grace and mercy. That's the glorious good news of the gospel. Verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So how do we live in this new kingdom? Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Jesus looks at those of us whose hearts are broken, um, who are beat up, whose heart breaks for that which is broken, maybe. And he says, I'll comfort you. Says you don't have to build up a bunch of walls any longer. Uh, you don't have to hold people at an arm's length any longer. You don't have to callous yourself uh, and harden your hearts. He says, blessed are you to mourn. It's okay. It's okay your heart breaks for that which is broken. Jesus says, because I'm gonna comfort you. I will. So you don't have to build up walls. Let me in. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Verse five, how do we live in this new kingdom? This kingdom of God. Blessed are the meek, 
for they shall inherit the earth. Oh, this one. I wish this one wasn't in here, right? Who wants that? I mean, I don't want to be a doormat. I don't want to be, uh, I kind of want to be a guy that handles myself a little bit, right? I mean, I want to be a guy that can like go chase bad guys and not be like meekness. I, I don't know, like, blessed are the meek, really? These are the people? This is the way of the new kingdom, meekness? And so this is where uh, I tend to want to grab the Greek New Testament and say, all right, well, wh- what does this word really mean? There's got to be some new, it's got it's to be more like maybe like the word assassin. And we can put some tough, toughness in there and I can, we can do some wordsmithing and we can get around it. Or like it's like a ninja where they're quiet but yet super dangerous people. Like, no, it's just meek. And I think... The reason that word is in here, and it's so bluntly and obviously there's no way around it, is because Jesus wants us to confront that word, meekness. Jesus wants us to face that word. This word, just that word alone, tells us, tells me how radically different the kingdom of heaven is compared to the values of this world. It's so different. It's such a big adjustment for me. But this was Jesus. I mean, this is clearly Jesus. When you look at him and his life and his ministry, Jesus was willing to suffer unjustly without retaliating. Jesus absorbed suffering. Jesus kept trusting God even with his mouth shut while he suffered. At times, that's meekness. Jesus was meek, and catch this, he suffered for it. But he also rose again. Jesus is not a doormat. Jesus knew what he was doing. He also rose again in power. So meekness is, catch this, meekness is strength under control for others. Meekness is strength under control, not for yourself, for others, for others, for others. Right? That's Jesus. Jesus had all power, he had all strength, and he never used it up on himself. And his meekness is actually our salvation. That's the good news of the gospel. We don't have to earn it. Jesus did it for us. So the renewal of the whole universe ushered in by Jesus began at a cross where meekness hung there and said, not my will, Father, but your will be done. That's what he said. And at that moment, that place, that is the beginning of our new reality, our new future in the kingdom of heaven. Verse six, how do we live in this kingdom? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Um, So here's a question. I think Brett hit on it a couple weeks ago. Are you yearning for God to do something in your life? Um, Are you at church this morning? Because you are longing for God to move. 
because you are longing for God to do a work in your heart and to move in a profound way and to teach you something and make you into something that you cannot be on your own? Are you longing for God to move? God says, perfect, I'm glad he came. Uh, And so what this verse tells me, verse six, is that we don't have to be ashamed or embarrassed of our unfilled desires, right? So blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That means they don't even yet have it. It's not blessed are those who are righteous, uh, who are already righteous. Blessed are those who hunger and long for it. So Jesus is saying, don't be ashamed of these places where you don't yet have it, but you are longing for God to move and you're begging God to move. You're hungry and you're thirsty for it. When we are hungry and thirsty people, everything changes. You ever heard the term hangry? Like something happens to us when we get hungry and everything else in our world and our reality are now formed around the fact that we're hungry. Like, we freak out and we can't function. We're like, we just, we have to get some food or we're just so thirsty. If you've ever been parched, you just have to find a drink of water. Everything else around you doesn't matter because you have to get some water. Jesus is saying, blessed are you. Blessings on you. Good on you for hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Righteousness. So this also means, conversely, um, that complacent Christianity is no Christianity at all. Um, It's not a part of his kingdom. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness is. The deal breaker, the most surprising thing about this one is the deal breaker is not unrighteousness. The deal breaker is self-satisfaction. The deal breaker is, eh, I'm good. I think I'm fine. Take it or leave it, whatever. It's that attitude. Uh, So if you're here today at church and you're thinking, "Mm, you know, I think I kind of got all I need from God. I'm good. I don't really care. Or I kind of go when I can and fit it around or what I don't. I don't really have a hunger and a thirst. I've got enough. Uh, My question to you is, have you ever really tasted the righteousness of God, the goodness of God, the glory of God? Because when you get a taste of it, you hunger and you thirst for it and you long for it. And we have seasons of dryness, yes. But our heart's desire is to run after him, is to lean after him, is to have more of him in the places of unrighteousness in us. We long to say, God, change them in me. I hunger and thirst for your righteousness, not my own. Verse seven, how do we live in this kingdom? This new way. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful. Jesus says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I came to call the, not uh, the righteous, but sinners. Mercy is a must in the kingdom of God. Um, it is not easy to forgive. 
it was not easy for God to forgive. It took a cross. Um, Mercy, church, catch this. Mercy is the greatest power in the world. God is famous for being a merciful God towards sinners like you and I, toward the undeserving. What if we were famous for that as well? What if we were famous for that as well? Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. How do we live in this new kingdom? Jesus says, you're not just outwardly pure. The Pharisees were outwardly pure, and they wanted everyone to know it. Jesus says that's hypocrisy. And so the biggest question in your life and mine today is not what we seem to be or what we want everyone to think that we are, but who we actually are. That's called integrity. How do we live with God with integrity? Religion is all about gaining reputation for being good without actually changing anything, just saying the right things and doing the right things. And all of us are tempted by that. All of us are tempted by that. All of us fall into that. But God knows everything about us. And Jesus says, be pure in heart, not just in show. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. How do we live in this new kingdom? Um, Blessed are the peacemakers. Here in this broken world, God says we are people that create shalom, peace, wholeness, beauty. That's the kingdom people. How do we stand out in this angry, divided world? Well, maybe we should be more known for launching less boycotts and being famous for how peaceable we are and how that we can enter into conflict and be peacemakers by the love and power of Christ through the kingdom of God and God's people together. And finally, 10, how do we live in this kingdom of God? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, This is another This is another hard one. All those other ones are so beautiful. And they're they're like, yeah, I want to live like that. I want to do that. Um, But this one's hard. And this one's hard because it's like you think to yourself, man, if, if we were living, if we were people living like that, like doing all these things that Jesus just asked us to do as these kingdom minded people, you would think the whole world would be like, finally. Man, this is incredible. You'd think that we'd be filling every single room in this place. It would just people be just breaking the doors down wanting to be part of what we're doing. You'd think that all over the world, people would just be flocking to this type of kingdom movement. Um, but unfortunately, he gives us this last one. Um, and Jesus says, and everyone that wants, strives to follow after me um, will suffer persecution. That's just part of it. Living for Jesus is not a popularity contest. Uh, we're learning that more and more and more in this world we're living in today. It's no longer even advantageous for you to be a Christian today. 
that used to be kind of like a thing. Like, oh, it's, what church do you go to? Now it's, oh, you go to church? We're maybe a little bit more isolated from it here in what we call the bubble, uh, but probably not for long. Um, it's not a popularity contest, but it is eternally rewarding to live in this manner. And what is the reward? What is the reward that he tells us? Yours is the kingdom of heaven. What's the kingdom of God like? What's the kingdom of heaven like? What are God's people like? Who does Jesus bless? Where is Jesus calling us? How is he calling us to live? How is he calling us to respond in this world in which we live in today, right now? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray, church. Jesus, help us. God, we confess that we have missed the mark in many, many ways. But God, I thank you that you are a merciful God. Lord, I pray that we as a people would hunger and thirst for righteousness, that you would mark our lives with meekness, that we would be strength under control for others. Lord, that we would be willing to even endure suffering for your name's sake, that God, you would create in us here, this small room, that you would create in us hearts that reflect yours. And God, I pray for maybe those that are in here who find themselves complacent. Lord, would you spark in them something? Would you do in their hearts what only you can do? Would you bring life where there is death? Would you bring hope where there is fear? And may we collectively as God's people uh, live for you in this new kingdom way. God, forgive us for living in the ways of the world that is so easy and enticing. Help us, remind us, help one another, remind each other to live in a way that you've called us to for, the, for theirs is the kingdom. May we be counted in theirs. We long to be. That's our aim, our hope, our desire. And may you, by your good pleasure do a work in and through us as a result. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. Let's stand and sing to him this morning.